G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast, our summer edition. And uh, one week now in Victoria, or Melbourne at least, of freedom with lockdown having ended. And hopefully everyone listening to this who lives in Melbourne and now Victoria with regional areas opening up has been able to get out and about, visit family and friends maybe get out for dinner, although that one's a bit of a longer shot given uh, how difficult it is to get bookings. But um, I've been out a little bit and it's been great to see people out again and now mask-free outdoors as well. So gradually getting back to some normality. Uh, as I say, a very good morning to my footyology co-host, Mark Fine. You're enjoying your freedom, Fine. I am. I'm glad that my cue to enter the discussion was normality. That's not normally my cue to join in but yes normality is good and it is the summer edition because hasn't the weather been uh, obligingly pleasant warm to greet us as we've come out of our caves and into the sunlight the sunlight's actually been pretty bright and strong and i've really enjoyed it so has the family yeah, pretty hot uh yesterday for melbourne cup day of course always a big occasion and good to see some actual people back at a sporting event in Melbourne as well, limited crowd uh, though that was. And uh, I, as is my custom, did my dough on the Melbourne Cup, which is about the only bet I had all year. Just quickly, Fanny, how'd you go in the punting stakes? Oh, hopeless. Um, yeah, no, missed completely. I've got to say... Uh, there was a time when I put a lot of time and effort into it and tried to pick the winner. That didn't work, and this year didn't work either. More a sort of a dark job, really, but barely put any money on it. Still, it was good to go out and actually uh, watch the race. I went down to the local TAB and caught the race and came back home and good to catch up with some people that I knew from uh, sort of uh, around, let's just say. It was good. Good to get out. All right. They don't sound like dark or shady characters at all hanging around <laughs> at TAB. Uh, you, know, uh, you know what? They, what? The both of them said, oh, we're not really, you know, we're happy that we're not wearing masks outdoor, except we don't mind wearing it in the TAB in case our wives drive past. Well, or if they want to uh, case the joint and rob it <laughs> after blowing all the uh, better halves hard-earned. I'll tell you one thing you'll never be gambling with, Finey, and that is the quality of food at Melbourne's uh, finest quality fast food establishment. What would I be talking about there? Andrew's Hamburgers, masks off. Get the big bite into the best burger in town. 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. And see, uh, now everybody can get around the best burger in Melbourne, best burger in Victoria, Australia. We haven't checked the rest of the universe, and I know sometimes you do claim that, but I would be surprised 
if there's a better burger anywhere than Andrew's hamburgers. Great bite. 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. Get down there and sample the wares of the two Gregs. All right, we've got plenty on the menu ourselves today. We've got some news. We've got vinyl and video. We've got fantastic footy flashbacks. And, of course, the rant off. Let's get cracking. On Footyology, Newsfeed. Well, one very big footy news story and a news story for the front of the paper too, unfortunately, which we need to talk about. And that was, of course, the arrest and charging of Collingwood star Jordan Degoe in the US, in New York. He and his mate um, got into a fair bit of trouble at a New York uh, club. Um uh, hassled a couple of patrons there and uh, took issue with the partner of someone they were hassling when uh, he got a bit annoyed by that. And Jordan Degoe was arrested and is facing serious assault and harassment charges. Now, there was a charge against him of, quote, forcible touching, unquote, uh, of a woman in this incident. That has been dropped by the police, but... Uh, certainly not um, anything other than very serious still for him. Uh, he can still be sentenced to, I think, a, um, at least a, a year in jail for the assault. Uh, his mate is up on charges as well. Uh, this is all, of course, after Dugowie got uh, dispensation to head over to the States on a promotional uh, trip for a... Um, energy drink and we saw a whole lot of stuff about how hard he was training and uh you know turning his career around etc etc and uh now well you'd say it's all pretty much down the toilet he's 25 years old we know how talented he is but he's got a few prize there hasn't he drink driving uh getting in a fight in a bar previously when he lied about that to the club uh, I think there's a bit of a litany of previous driving charges. Uh, there was another um, charge uh, earlier involving um, harassment of a woman, which was dropped as well, but uh, a fairly checkered past, it's fair to say. And, uh, boy, the other big element of this, I guess, is the fact that uh, Craig McRae is just starting as Collingwood coach, and it's a massive test for any coach at Collingwood, uh, let alone one in his first year, uh, about just what to do about this. Collingwood's a club that's had plenty of disciplinary issues. Um, they are looking to turn their reputation around. This is exactly what they didn't need. So there are all the details. Uh, we're still waiting on what's going to happen with that and whether he can return. Of course, he's been stood down indefinitely by the club with AFL backing until things are resolved there. We don't even know when or if he can come home in the meantime until he next appears in court, which will be on December the 8th. Uh, Finey, what do you make of it all? Uh, yeah, I think you, the stepping off point here is Craig McRae. And if there was a soundtrack to this, I guess Guns and Roses would be starting up and you'd hear Welcome to the Jungle playing in the background because he hasn't had very long before 
He has been thrust into the spotlight, Collingwood front page news, Jordan DeGoey front page news, and these things don't get swept under the carpet. You did say that quite rightly the club is looking to rebrand itself post Eddie Maguire's presidency and the report that came in about systemic racism in the club and also simply how the club handles things culturally going forward. And I guess you said it couldn't have come at a worse time. Well, maybe couldn't have come at a better time for the club to make a statement and really say to the world, we have not changed, but we are a club that practices what we preach. It's easy to stand the pulpit and say that going forward, having done this investigation, we are now at the vanguard of cultural awareness, not only in terms of systemic or racism within the club, but also uh, objectifying women and other issues that are at the forefront of culture. Well, here's an opportunity to put meat to the bones and actually say to the not just football world, to the world, because Collingwood is a big organisation, that we simply are not a place that is a welcome home to a recidivist, to somebody that we have spoken to previously about the responsibilities of wearing the club colours and pending, of course, these are allegations, but pending these charges being um, being held up in a court case and guilt being determined, the club really, if they are true to their word, ends their association with Jordan DeGoey. I'm sorry, but it's it's that harsh. And given where Collingwood's come from in the last 12 months to where they say they are, I think they're in no position to do anything else, Rowan. Yeah, well, I, I agree. Um, and I'd like to think the decision would be the same even if uh, Nathan Buckley was still coach. And, and the key to it, and, and we talk about image, but it's not just window dressing. This is a club which was found to have systemic racism issues. It's a club which has been seen to be a bit of a, a dictatorship and a club which was pretty slack on disciplinary standards. And, uh, you know, there aren't more serious tests of that than what's happened to this guy. This is some really heavy-duty stuff he's got involved with, and it's magnified, obviously, by the fact it's overseas and... Uh, US cops pretty notoriously hard on transgressors or the US justice system, but even more reason to make sure you're doing the right thing. And uh, I'd go so far as to say if Craig McRae, and it's not just his decision, obviously, but if Dugowie plays on there, then I think anything that they do in terms of uh, changing their DNA and and, uh, their dynamic uh, in the meantime, um, I, I just think it, it will prove to be hollow and people will be rightly, rightly cynical about it. The issue then becomes, if they do dispense with his services, uh, will another club pick him up? And, um, you know, I'd uh, gee, I wouldn't want to be the club that took a pun on him because I reckon you'd have some pretty unhappy supporters about that given his prize. Look, I agree with you, Rowan. I think we're at a dem on this, but gee, don't we have a history of other clubs or football clubs believing that, and certainly with a player as talented as Jordan Dugowie, if he was to come onto the market, there will be football clubs that believe that 
their culture and they'll come out and say it is such that they believe that they can uh, take a player like Jordan Goey, Jordan Goey on board and the relationship be good for player and club. So I'm sure we'll see Jordan Goey on the football field again, whether it's in black and white, whether it's in the short term, in other words, in 2022, that depends on the metal of the Collingwood Football Club. Yes, well, uh, like I said, December 8th is his court appearance. We don't know at this stage uh, what his uh, travel status is, but uh, in a way that's sort of a moot point because he's suspended, which means he can't take part in training or anything until this is resolved. Uh, So it's going to be very anxious summer for young Jordan, I would suggest, and hopefully uh, something starts to sink in there. Um, and as for the other clubs, yeah, well, we'll see how far standards have changed. But, uh, yeah, maybe it's a, a, a test for, in fact, all 18 clubs, whether uh, they decide to set a premium on talent or reputation and whether one can come at the expense of the other. All right, there has been a little bit more footy news going on. Not a great deal, it has to be said. I guess the other important one, and we talked about it last week, is the mandatory vaccination that AFL and AFLW players now have to have. They're required to get their first jabs by November the 19th and their second jabs by December 17th. Uh, Some speculation about a few AFLW players. We mentioned uh, Georgia Petruchios last week, but uh, one who has come out and been uh, well, spoken publicly now is uh, dual Adelaide Premiership player Dani Varnhagen or Varnhagen. Um, she is a registered nurse, which makes it uh, even more interesting. But she attended a protest in Adelaide CBD yesterday by healthcare workers who've been stood down for refusing to get the jab. She maintains that she is not anti-vax, but uh, just wants to be fully informed. Of the facts, well, I would say unless she hurries up and fully informs herself and gets jabbed, um, she's going to be without an AFLW career, which would be a pity, Finey, but uh, I don't think the AFL is about to weaken or make too many exceptions on this one. They can't afford to. No, and neither can the Adelaide Football Club, even though there is a blanket rule from the AFL through the AFL and AFLW. In a team environment... And as you said, she's not uh, anti-vax. I'm not sure whether she's made her vaccination status public, but I imagine that what she's talking about is being pro-choice. Nevertheless, it is a requirement to be vaccinated. And the close confines of a football club make that a necessity. And I would have thought anybody that works in an environment where there is such... um, close contact between individuals would require likewise assurances that all members of staff are vaccinated because certainly in a football club, it would be one down, all down if somebody got COVID. Well, I'm getting a bit testy with these sorts of arguments, to be honest. I mean, fully informed, come on. The entire world has been through a pandemic for two years. The figures on the effectiveness of vaccination are all there readily available, uh, you know, what is the reticence? I mean, really? I mean, how how much more information could she possibly have to be fully informed? Yeah, I mean, it is extraordinary that the uh, sort of um, 
rights that people seem to afford themselves now in terms of uh, personal freedoms and I need to be fully informed, I have the right, et cetera, et cetera. As I keep saying, weren't we as youngsters told to roll up our sleeves a couple of times at school for a polio shot and um, we just, it was part of the school day and you know what the upshot of that was, Rowan? Well, basically, we were, we were basically the end, well, but and the end of polio. You know this this terrible, terrible disease, and uh, you know there may be tiny pockets of it somewhere in the world. I'm not even sure, but to all extents and purposes, this was how a disease was eradicated. Now we're not going to be as fortunate with COVID because eradication seems unlikely, but. Isn't there just a time, and I've said this before, where you literally, literally roll up your sleeve and do it for the nation and just get on with the business and, and stop being such a precious individual and so damn determined to explore your rights because I don't believe these people honestly do it in their everyday life. They've found a, a, a cause and they've almost, you know, sort of nailed themselves to the cross as a result because of COVID. But it, it, it's just like the countless people who refuse to take a COVID shot because they don't know what's in it, uh, yet are happy to imbibe in illicit substances. Yeah, I'm really sure that uh, that's well-researched. Or how about cigarette smoking? You know, something we're both guilty of. How could you honestly smoke cigarettes and not have a COVID shot? Yeah, well, it does make a lot of sense. Uh, so, no, I endorse everything you've said just there. All right, a uh, couple more bits of news. Uh, finally, it's been a bit like Nellie Melba, this one, but uh, Shane Mumford, veteran GWS Ruckman, has finally retired, and this time for good, at the age of 35. 13 seasons in the AFL, Shane Mumford, for 216 games, 21 of those with Geelong in those first couple of seasons, 79 for Sydney and 116 in the end for the Giants. A controversial figure in recent seasons, it's fair to say, um, to do with his modus operandi and his uh, capacity to sort of accidentally, in quotes, fall on people and deliberately hurt them. Some would say uh, sometimes unnecessarily, but he's certainly been a powerful presence in the ruck finey and, of course, uh, a part of a premiership side with the Swans in 2012. And uh, I got right through that without even mentioning sausages, but uh, that will always be a bit of a byword with Big Mummy. How do you see his career? Yeah, look, the boy from Bunyip was really almost a no-show as far as an AFL career was concerned because of those sausages. He was a big boy and finally convinced to knuckle down and given a chance at Geelong. I mean, he played for good teams, Geelong, Sydney and GWS, and he was really at Sydney and GWS central to successes. And I've got to say that now that the career is over, and certainly if you, uh, in latter years, dissect everything that Mummy did, some of it was outside the rules, but you know what? No one died. No one actually really got seriously hurt, I don't think. He's a 
pretty unique customer. He wasn't the tallest ruckman. He wasn't the quickest ruckman. But for much of his career, he had the most presence. And whatever he did, he got away with, and he'll be well-remembered and fondly remembered as a, uh, a real strong man in an era when that sort of ruckman basically had become past its years by date. So great career, Mumford. Great career. Yeah, probably one of the last of the true enforcers in the competition. It's probably fair to say the game has changed a fair bit even since he started in it. So, uh, no, well played, Mummy, and uh, bows out a premiership player. And, of course, my dream never quite materialised, Rowan. Which was? That he would finish his career at the Gold Coast. Was that? So then we would have Mumford and Sons. Ah, yes, very good. Very good for those musically inclined. Well done. And uh, speaking of, or one of Shane Mumford's former clubs, the Swans, they have uh, re-signed Sam Reid on a one-year deal, finally. 29 now, Sam Reid, 11 seasons, 163 games. Certainly hasn't been very durable in recent times. In fact, I had a look at the numbers. In the last four seasons... Uh, he's played 10 games this year, 10 games last year. Played 22 in 2019, but the year before, just the one. So uh, certainly not a durable commodity. Be turning 30 before the start of next season. We know his best is pretty good, but it seems to be a bit of an indication that the Swans still aren't that confident about their uh, key forward stocks, wouldn't you say? Well, they've got... Logan McDonald, Hayden McLean. The future looks bright. Buddy needs some insurance. He completed most of his work in 2021, Buddy, but I, I, I know this much. The coach likes Sam Reid, and that's why he's got another year. Probably didn't quite live up to the hopes that Longmire had for him this season. Uh, he got back in time to play enough football. In the end, he got dropped, but the hope from, I guess, horse would be get a pre-season under your belt and show me your best football and there's a spot in the 22, in the 18. And that would be what he'd be told. And the year could parlay into more football if he can do that to the best of his ability because he's a very hard player to man up on in the forward line. He's got those long arms, he's athletic, and when he's going, he's a very dangerous forward. Well, it'd certainly be cream on the cake uh, for the Swans who, uh, based on this year, certainly seem to have a pretty exciting future with that army of uh, young Tyros, um, most of whom showed so much during the season. So it could be a big future to be part of if he can stay injury-free, which obviously is a big if. All right, that's enough news for this week. Uh, Time now to uh, duck back into memory lane on a couple of fronts. And first off, we're going to do it with music and movies. Vinyl and video. Pressing rewind on our favourite music, movies and TV. All right, we're doing our top 20s in movies and songs. Last week was number 20. Check back with the episode if you want to see what we both chose as our 20th favourite movie and song of all time. And uh, again, the reminder, we won't say this every week, but we're not talking about technical brilliance 
or critically acclaimed, we're talking about our personal favourites. So there may be some unlikely nominations in both categories from both of us. All right. Number 19 on the movie list for me. I have gone comedy again. I like my comedy. And uh, this for me is the uh, pace setter of uh, US high school comedies made back in 1982. And it has stood the test of time very well, I think. It is Fast Times at Ridgemont High, a bit of a cult classic directed by Amy Heckling um, from a screenplay by Cameron Crowe, who you probably have come across at some stage, who wrote a book called Fast Times at Ridgemont High. He actually went undercover at Claremont High School in San Diego and wrote a book about his experiences. It's a Why I like this, well, first start, um, talking about uh, the launching of some great acting careers, here's the cast, and I'm pretty sure most, if not all, of these people were appearing in their first major roles. Sean Penn... Jennifer Jason Lee, Judge Reinhold, and Phoebe Cates. They are four of the students at this school. Um, uh, Jennifer Jason Lee is like the main female protagonist. Judge Reinhold is his is her big brother. Phoebe Cates is Jennifer Jason Lee's uh, best friend, and Sean Penn is uh, a cult character called Spicoli, who is permanently stoned and uh, pretty free and easy with his attitude to school and Sean Penn playing the slacker uh, stoner role very, very well indeed. It's funny. I think the gags are really good. I think the uh, acting performances are great. These kids come off as pretty realistic. Um, There are some pretty standard themes covered, but I just, I really like the feel of this movie. Funny. It's a, a coming-of-age thing, but it's done sensitively and realistically and it's done with humour and plenty of empathy. And um, it's now, what, nearly 40 years since that was made, but uh, I don't think the lessons out of it are necessarily outdated at all. I really love this movie, always have, and I've watched it uh, several times. You familiar with it? Yeah, yeah, I've seen it a couple of times. It was... First, I first saw it roughly when it came out, and it was a period very much in sync with my life and therefore your life. We're the same age. And I remember seeing it and Animal House and National Lampoon movies like Vacation, etc. and they certainly became the quotable landmark movies of our, of our youth, of our, um, dare I say, Rowan, of our salad days. This movie... Correct me if I'm wrong, I'm pretty sure I'm right, has sort of gained a reputation, not the least of which, as you pointed out, because of the success of the actors ongoing, particularly Sean Penn, but it's gained a reputation and uh, importance over the years as a, a an important coming-of-age movie. It, so it's not just a comedy. I think it, it sort of um, captures the zeitgeist of the time, the feeling of the times, doesn't it? It does, and a uh, good soundtrack too. And uh, anyone who has seen it and liked it, uh, don't uh, r- rush me with the obvious continuity error in it, which is when uh, the main male character, played by Brian Backer, uh, is about to go out on a date and seeking some advice from his allegedly uh, very experienced best mate. 
who tells him to make sure when he's got his date in the car and they're driving somewhere that he puts on Led Zeppelin 4 and you then see them driving down the main street with cashmere belting out of the speakers. Not exactly romantic music, but also, and here's the error, not on Led Zeppelin 4. Uh, of course, Cashmere is off the physical graffiti album. So apart from that little glitch, uh, I really do love this movie. It's a ripper. Check it out. If you haven't seen it, it still holds up very well. All right, Fidey, what's your 19th favourite movie of all time? Well, it's got all the um, ingredients to be a winner because sort of ask any footballer from the 2000s, or I know, no, I agree with them, uh, Shawshank Redemption. Have you, have you seen Shawshank Redemption? Yeah, I have. Do you like it? Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, I like it a lot. Well, uh, if you like Shawshank Redemption, you'll have no problems with The Green Mile. Also a Stephen King book. Uh, I think Shawshank Redemption was a novella, a short story. This is actually a Stephen King book. 1999, directed by Frank Drabont, set once again in... A prison, this time a little bit more mysterious and mystical as a an inmate is sent onto the Green Mile, the Green Mile referring to the cell block which uh, in which condemned prisoners wait until they're executed. And the Green Mile is looked after by the chief officer there, played by... Tom Hanks. So, you know, you've got Tom Hanks, you've got Stephen King, you've got a prison movie, you've got great supporting cast acting. Michael Duncan Clark, sadly no longer with us, was plucked from obscurity working as a security bouncer at a nightclub um, with a very thin acting resume. He was chosen for the role more than just his stature because it requires, as the novel portrays him, a huge man, huge um, six foot, close to six foot ten, but giant across the shoulders. And Michael Duncan Clark fit the bill, but he also plays it with a beautiful childlike innocence. His character is sentenced to death for the murder of two young girls, a crime he didn't commit. He's not only an innocent, but as the movie plays out, he has some very special qualities that. Sam Rockwell, I'm not sure if you're familiar with his work. He's a, a great sort of character actor. I recently watched Frost Nixon. He plays a role in that as one of the Frost interviewing team, the research team. But he's a great actor. He plays Wild Bill, also slated for execution. Um, there are great supporting roles. Barry Pepper plays one of the guards. And uh, basically, it's a real ensemble cast, beautifully acted, and like all Stephen King movies, Rowan, it has a satisfying, unexpected ending. Well, I, I haven't seen this. I did watch the trailer, though, and it appeared like uh, there's a, a touch of the uh, supernatural about it. Does the, uh, one of the death row inmates have uh, some rather uh, magical gifts? Yeah, yeah, big, yeah, yeah, big John Coffee. And whenever he says his name coffee that's like the drink but not spelt the same yeah he has some god-given qualities and it's it's a powerful movie there's a little cameo role played by 
uh, Gary Sinise, you might remember him from um, uh, from Tom Hanks's maybe most most famous movie, Forrest Gump. Gary Sinise played Captain Dan, but he plays a very small role in this. Powerful though, deep south, and of course, being a black man, uh, the prejudices against that particular character ran very deep. So it's got that undercurrent as well. All right, 1999, Green Mile. I will check it out. It does sound a bit like Shawshank Redemption Part 2, but uh, I'll, uh, I'll put that on the list and make sure I have a look. All right, let's turn to music. Uh, my number 19 song of all time. Now, last week I went with Sex Pistols, Anarchy in the UK, which pretty much everyone knows. I'm not sure how many people know this one. It's an album track, but it is by a very well-known band, one of my favourites, Faith No More. It is a song from the Angel Dust album, which came out in 1992, and the track is called Smaller and Smaller. And uh, it's a bit of a slow, I wouldn't say dirge, but it is a pretty dark and brooding piece of music, five minutes long. Uh, there's plenty of keyboards in it. Um, some heavy-duty uh, wailing from lead vocalist Mike Patton. That man has an incredible set of pipes. But I love the brooding atmosphere of this song, Fonny. Always been one of my favourites. I generally like more up-tempo stuff, but this one really reels you in, I think. Uh, also, in the middle of it, some uh, chanting from a... Uh, Indian tribesmen, believe it or not, which is a bit different. They've, uh, they certainly, uh, Faith No More are one of those bands which uh, have an incredibly unique sound and incorporate a huge variety of sounds in their music, even on this album. Uh, there's a lot of different styles of music on this album. I, I don't quite know how to categorise this one. It's certainly not a ballad, uh, maybe a power ballad, but it's, uh, it's not about usual ballad type of subjects and it's quite uplifting I think it's about the crushing of the spirit and the ability to bounce back smaller and smaller as he says I'll keep coming back smaller and smaller I love this song Finey uh, I don't think you're familiar with it but uh, if you're familiar with Faith No More certainly worth checking out as is their entire Angel Dust album arguably the best in their considerable catalogue ring any bells for you that song well, I had a listen on your say-so. I guess for me, the most famous, the you know, you say Faith No More and it would be the cover of the Commodores. I think it's Commodores sung easy, wasn't it? Yep. Well, if Faith No More's best-known song is easy, then I would have to describe this as difficult. Um, it's, yeah, it's not, it's not easy listening but it has a depth to it. There's, uh, you know, if I, I think it is a song you immerse yourself in personally. I can't imagine playing it in the car to the kids, but I can certainly uh, understand the depth of feeling for it. No, it's certainly not easy listening. Okay, well, uh, time to have a, a listen to what we've just been talking about. Here's a uh, short grab from Faith No More's Smaller and Smaller.
Yeah, well, there you go. Pretty heavy stuff. Uh, you wouldn't sort of play it in the background as you were doing the housework or something, I'd suggest. Uh, all right, Finey, uh, fill us in on your number 19 song of all time, and uh, I'll let you throw to the grab of that. Well, I'll say this, that these 20 songs, uh, a lot of them are important to me, and, and, and I love them still for a reason. And at number 19 is a, a song not well known, even though I think when people hear it, they might, it might, if you're of age, it might ring some bells. It's a song called Never Say Never by a band called Romeo Void. And first of all, I like it. I like it's, um, it's a sort of a alternative sound. And that to me was, it was a bit of a discovery. So there I am. Uh, stepping out from and around that same time, the first time at Ridgemont High's sort of age, mid to early 80s, and I'm starting to go and see bands and I'm learning that there's more to music than you can just pick up by twiddling the dial on the radio or listening to watching one of the TV shows like um, Countdown or well, probably more relevantly... Um, well, what would we be watching? Was Rage on back then, Rowan? Maybe. Uh, might have been a bit before Rage, but Rock Arena, it's the sort of song yeah. that would have been on Rock Arena with Suzanne with, Dowling. What was the show with Basha Brodkowski? Uh, yes. What was that called again? Uh, no, Rock well, Arena was the ABC. Anyway, we'll get back to that, but I did used to watch that on SBS. Anyway, go on. Yeah, well, that's probably where I picked up this song. So, yeah, it's got that... Um, that West Coast US sort of pre-grunge industrial sound. I reckon it's got a good beat to it. And um, I like the message as well. I think it's a, a bit of a, a cool song, sort of sexy. And it's Never Say Never by Romeo Void. Let's listen to it. I've grabbed 30 seconds out of it. Yeah, good choice. It was a bit of a cult song, this. I do remember when it came out. 1981 it uh, came out, but uh, Romeo Void were a, I guess, uh, what would you classify them as? New wave, post-punk almost, uh, from San Francisco. Yeah, um, that, it's sort of that West Coast sound, wasn't it, at that well, time? Well, no, West Coast sound, I think, more the Eagles, but uh, it's certainly not that. But uh, there was a bit of a punk scene happening over in L.A., um, yeah. People might remember the clip to the lead singer Deborah Isle. Uh, she was, um, how should I put it? Not your classic sort of pretty front woman for a band, uh, a big girl, Deborah, but a real chutzpah and personality and, and front and really snarls the lyrics to this song. And uh, I guess in that way, a bit of a, a pace setter for women finding their voice in the realm of rock music. It's got some good sax in it too during the chorus, that song. So, yeah, I do like it. I think that's a good choice. Romeo Void's 
Never Say Never from 1981. And if you like that little grab we played, uh, check out the full thing on or Spotify or you can watch the clip on YouTube. Suit yourself, but have a listen. Romeo Void, Never Say Never. All right, that is vinyl and video for this week, but the uh, memory mining doesn't stop there because now we're going to do it with a footy. Fantastic footy flashbacks. All right, footy flashback time. Uh, I've gone for a finals classic this week, Finey, and uh, we've talked about uh, amazing weekends of finals footy, particularly in week one under the final eight system when you get those four finals on the first weekend. And uh, 1994 was the first year of that. Of course, this was an old version of the eight, but it was the first year of the final eight. And the first week of the final eight system produced uh, arguably the most memorable weekend of finals footy we've seen. Um Well, before or since, there were four classic games played out at Waverley on the Saturday afternoon. Hawthorne and North Melbourne drew in regulation time. And, of course, that was the first instance of extra time being used in a final. The Roos going on to win that. Uh, Sunday, uh, Melbourne upset Carlton. Melbourne having finished, I think, seventh on the ladder and the Blues second. And uh, that was a fantastic come-from-behind performance by the Demons. And uh, then Sunday, another classic in Perth. First up against eighth West Coast. Hot favourites against Collingwood and the Pies almost stealing victory. Mick McGuan's drop mark in the the final seconds. An absolute classic. And on Saturday evening, in between all those other great games, was another classic played between Geelong and Footscray. I can remember working for the Sunday Age Finey and doing the Waverley game and then desperately getting a trying to get a taxi to the MCG, made it just in time to witness another epic. Uh, didn't look like it was going to be an epic. Geelong out to a five-goal lead by quarter time with eight goals in the first quarter. But the Bulldogs absolutely worked their way back into this. Five goals to two in the second quarter. The gap now just a couple of goals. Geelong two points up at three-quarter time. And then a classic final term, uh, goal for goal, three goals each in a hectic Final quarter with uh, play zipping from end to end. Great standard of footy. Big crowd in attendance to 61,000 to see it. And uh, with a couple of minutes only left on the clock, the Cats still just with their noses in front. Let's pick up the thrilling finish of this game. Now they've got a belted in long, I think. No, they're going short again. Osmond. Now, you couldn't give it to a better man to have this kick because he is a very, very long kick of a football, Richard Osborne. Now, if he couches warming up as Osborne kicks for goal, if he kicks it, scores a level with two minutes of play left. Richard Osborne kicks it out to the right, and I think it stays out there. It does, but still the margin now, five points, and when the kick-in takes place, there's Paul Couch. It'll still be in Footscray's attacking zone. Oakley's hobbling his way to the boundary line. He's also done an ankle by the uh, looks. <laughs> Going to be fun in the Geelong medical rooms this week. Hickmont gets it away to Gary Hocking. He's playing with an injury. And uh, he's given it away to Steve Wallace. 
Wallace, kick number 15. Into the middle he goes and finds Nigel Keller. The dogs finishing full of running. Keller in towards Grant! The flyer, but he couldn't take the mark. Osmond is there also. Brown, O'Reilly and Hickmont smother them. One minute and 16 seconds. And five points the difference. I think I'd move Gary Evelyn up to the half-forward line and put Paul Katz back in the goal square. Tanner pushes towards the line, and Riccardi can't pick it up on the half-volley, but I don't know how hard he was trying to pick it up. He's quite happy to see it go over as uh, the casualty list grows on the Cats bench. A minute remaining. Barnes again with that mighty yeah, belt. Been gigantic today, Barnes, or tonight. That is great play by Barnes. That's wasting valuable seconds for the Cats. Look at that ankle. And it's Kenny Hinkley. Footscray still a chance. A goal would put them in front by a point, but they've got 50 seconds of play left to do it. I think it's worth uh, flooding the back line from Geelong. Here's the bounce. The Dogs need a goal. They trailed by five points. They've got the opportunity here as it sets sail in towards full forward. Brown flies. Osmond's left loose, and he goes! They all end up for Geelong. And Aussie has kicked his second for the quarter and possibly the winning goal. Well, it was a critical mistake with two Geelong players going up. Unfortunately for Brown, he didn't get his fist on it. It was his man on the ground that uh, kicked what will probably be the winning score. So time running out now as Hawking sends Geelong down towards half-forward. Good mark taken by Mitch. He's got to play on and they've got to take a mark. It's got to be Abbott or Brown. Oh, oh what a finish. Eight seconds left. If, if it kicks a point, if it kicks a point, it'll be another tie. <laughs> Don't tell me. Oh, the siren's going to sound. Oh. The siren. How'd you like that for pressure? <laughs> well, his coach Malcolm Blight knows all about that. This is your moment, Billy. He'll go back and belt this straight through the middle. Yes, I'd back him. Well, he's had a rock and rolling season. Down and out, and back he comes. Can he finish it off with a goal? Billy, you are king of the the monkey's off the back, Billy! Billy! Oh, Billy! Look at them! Look at those Geelong players! Well, that is probably, given Billy Brownless, and really timely, isn't it? As Billy has just announced his retirement from footy media, basically. But, gee, a famous kick. Last week, we had that magnificent after-the-siren kick for the Cats by Tom Hawkins... And as good as that was, I don't think anything will replace or better that magnificent kick by Billy Brownless. It was the stuff of legends, and he's had gee, over a quarter of a century to add the mayo, but it didn't need much mayo, did it? One of the great kicks of all time. And incredibly, one of two finals the Cats won that September after the final siren, of course, the preliminary final, which we've already done in this segment, uh, famously won by Gary Ablett. Just 26 seconds left on the clock when the uh, after Richard Osborne's goal put the Bulldogs in front. How do you lose from there? Why didn't they throw the whole side behind the ball? How was the uh, clearance allowed to happen so easily? And then 
Billy marking on the lead after his opponent, I think it might have been Danny Southern, uh, slipped and uh, gave Brownless a couple of uh, yards break. And as the commentary memorably went, Billy, you are king of Geelong. Amazing finish that was. And uh, unfortunately for the Bulldogs, they were dispensed with by Melbourne the following week and it was out of the finals in straight sets for them. The Cats, of course, incredible final series, which uh, wound up pretty sadly on grand final day when they were belted by West Coast. But an incredible game, this one, uh, in an incredible weekend of finals footy. All right, Finey, I think you're going for something a bit different this week. What have you chosen? I've chosen the old Escort Cup. Now, the Escort Cup was a night competition played in conjunction um, with the VFL season. We go back to 1982. There were some pretty famous games in the Escort Cup, by the way. I I remember Richmond kicking 33 goals in one game. That was... uh, That that might be the game Michael Roach came on at three-quarter time and kicked 10. <laughs> Did he kick ten? Well, it might have been a half. Well, pretty yeah, sure he kicked ten a... and a half. There was yeah, the one yeah. in 1979 when Claremont were beating Hawthorne, and the sprinklers, the sprinklers came, came on. on. Um, the game between South Melbourne and South Fremantle when South Melbourne wore just orange jumpers, like training jumpers. Uh, that's when Len Thompson was playing for South Melbourne. You think he looked funny in the South Melbourne jumper? You should see him when wearing the all orange. Essendon had a couple of famous games. I think Essendon played Port Adelaide in one game and had a satisfying victory. But I reckon the most famous cross-league clash happened in 1982. Uh, It was between Collingwood and Swan Districts. I'm not going to steal... I'm not going to give away the plot, as it were. Well, hang on. They they had a jumper clash too. So uh, Yeah, they did. Who yeah, prevailed in that case? Uh, Swan Districts actually prevailed. So it was obviously pre-Eddy. And Collingwood wore a black and white ensemble piece. But uh, no, it was the Swan Districts team that was able to maintain the black and white stripes. We pick up the play in what has been a an amazing effort by Swan Districts. Five points up partway through the last quarter. And then... Switch after a key goal. I won't tell you who to. We'll pick it up after the after the action and talk about it. But then we've got the closing minute and a half of the game. A real highlight here, though, is Lou Richards absolutely on the top of his form. He was a good caller, though. I know he was a bit theatrical, a bit of US razzle-dazzled at times. But, gee, you could certainly pick up from Louis the dissatisfaction of an old Collingwood champion in what was happening and ably supported, may I say, by the ever-present Peter Landy and Bob Skilton, who in no small way was tugging Collingwood's tail and hoping for an upset victory. Let's go to 1982, the Magpies taking on WA team Swan Districts. And once again, it's Cooper kicking it out wide towards Anir on his own. Oh, he dropped the sitter there, making mistakes. Collingwood at the moment. 
a hand pass coming over here now to Williams. He's around about centre field, goes for a short pass. McCormick couldn't take the mark. It hits the deck, and there's Melrose going through. And what a game Swan Districts are playing at the moment as it comes out here now to the big fella, side bottom back on the ground. A short pass to Narkle, and the Magpies are a little bit rattled, I would say. Narkle's gone for a short pass himself out to the point of the square, and it's taken down there by Fogarty. Fogarty puts it high towards the centre-half forward position. That's another mark over the top of Cooper. And bringing it in is uh, Shine. He's played very well in the centre. Oh, another mark and lead by Baker. And he almost could have got a 15-metre yes. penalty there, Baker. <laughs> you read my mind, Pete. <laughs> oh, gee, that was close. I still think he's within kicking distance. Leon Baker has already kicked one goal. I think he missed an easy one, too, from memory. What's he done this time? It's a goal. Two goals to Baker. We're at the 27-minute mark, and I think the Magpies are just about done. Ten points the difference in favour of Swan District. A hand pass out to Brown. A long kick up there towards the full forward position. Punched away by Fitzgerald. The ball is out of bounds in the forward pocket, and they're still hanging in there, Swan Districts. Well, they've put up a great show, Bob, haven't they? A wonderful effort, too, where they've had some fine players right throughout the night. Uh, Fransberg, Nowotny, Shine, they've all been magnificent players. Ball back into play again, right against the Collingwood point post. Knocked out by the big fella. Ball finally kicked out there by Fogarty. Out towards the wing for uh, half forward line. Williams, a little slow, he's grabbed. Maybe a little bit high. Snaps for goal, but it's out of bounds again. And a penalty free kick down there to Swan Districts. And I think that could do it for them, Pete. 27, nearly 28 minutes have gone in the quarter. Malouli. Malouli from the back pocket, taking plenty of time, predictably. Half forward for Collingwood. Fellows in front. Fogarty. Oh, beautiful torpedo punt kick. Gets play over the centre. Nowotny is there. Has two Collingwood opponents to beat. Taylor flicks the ball out in front. Nowotny again. Richardson. Handball into the open spaces. Fogarty backs him up, gives the hand pass further downfield. Unfortunately, it's tapped back to in the air, and there's the siren. Swan District has brought off the upset. And the final scores at VFL Park. Oh, boy, are they happy. Collingwood, 11-11-77, being defeated by Swan District's 39-87. Wow, talk about an upset. Swan District's holding off Collingwood uh, for victory in the old Escort Cup. And... My hero, Leon Baker. I love that man. And, of course, uh, that was his first season with Swans. And he would play in two of what would become three flags in a row for Swan Districts in 82 and 83 before heading to Essendon, where he promptly played in another two flags, 84, 85. What a player it was, Leon. Gee, they had some talent that side. Swan Districts, Alan Sidebottom, Phil Narkle, uh, Murray Rance, uh, I think, played for Swans. Brad yep, Shine, who went on and played for Carlton. Uh, Rod Boucher was their stalwart captain, the, the big ruckman. But uh, I've watched highlights of their three premierships over that uh, period, 82 to 84, and uh, they had an amazing side. And, of course, I've got a family connection to Swan Districts, finding my maternal grandfather George Broomhall played in their first ever senior team in the WAFL and was captain coach of their reserves for a long time and in fact played uh, over 100 games I think for their seconds 
and a few more in the first. So uh, uh, I would have certainly been barracking for Swan Districts against Collingwood. That is uh, a good selection. Just just on that, I never knew you had a, a strong football connection back to Swan Districts. That's quite cool. Yeah, I've got a... Um, I'll, I'll have to dig it up, actually. I've got a team shot of their first ever senior that, side. What, which, what year uh, was that in? Uh, it, they, they were a latecomer into the competition. Uh, I should know this, but I've got a feeling it's sort of... Uh, we're talking early 30s, maybe. Uh, and, I will look that up. I know and suburbs-wise, suburbs what... Area the Swan Districts cover? Oh, God, you always throw me into trouble, these questions. It's near the airport. I think it's sort of north, north of, of okay. the city. Yeah, um, cool. Yes, uh, Bassendine, is it around there? Somewhere oh, around yeah. there. But, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, my grandfather, part of Swan's first senior team. So, uh, good. We uh, Their goal mirror, no doubt, three flags in a row for them. And Collingwood getting beaten by Waffle Side in an era, we've got to say, for younger people, when the standard of the Waffle and Sandful competitions didn't leave much uh, to be desired. Uh, some terrific footballers going around in both those competitions in the early 80s particularly. All right, uh, there's a couple of good memories for footy flashbacks. That just leaves one segment on the program. We all know what that one is. On Footyology... The Rant Off. Okay, well, it's off-season. It's open slather. We're not uh, obliged to rant about football, but uh, given the news concerning a young Collingwood star this week, Finey, I couldn't really avoid it. So uh, I'd like you to count me in, please, while I let off a bit of steam myself. Okay. Oh, boy, this could be uh, sort of put fingers in the ears times for Collingwood fans, but for the rest of us, I can't wait. Three, two, one, let rip. I'm pissed off with the New York police, Finey. Who do they think they are coming in all heavy-handed like their law enforcement officers or something and throwing the book at one of our sporting heroes just for blowing off a bit of steam? Look, boys will be boys. And in the case of Jordan McGowie, it seems like that may be the case until he's well into his mid-50s. But isn't he just the sort of lovable larrikin this country once appreciated? I mean, think about how hard he's done it, having all that natural talent, landing at one of Australian sports' most famous clubs, getting looked after in every conceivable way and getting paid megabucks to kick a bit of leather around. Like all our AFL heroes, he's been slogging away at his craft all season, training, getting some more tats, playing endless games on PS5. It's draining stuff fighting. So, of course, there's some necessary time required to let the hair down a bit when it's all over. Most of us have hardly been able to leave our front yard for the best part of two years, but naturally, given his incredible level of sacrifice, we didn't begrudge young Geordie his promotional junket to the US on behalf of an energy drink company or the little R&R he was going to have in LA after his New York jaunt. And look at all the hard training he was putting in over there. Well, you could hardly have missed it, could you, given the frequency of those redemption of St. Jordan pieces that were bobbing up on TV and in the papers every five seconds. So, of course, Halloween, a fabled US tradition, was going to see the young man celebrate appropriately. He'd earned it. And boy, did he put some effort into his Halloween costume too. I mean, a hotel dressing gown. That was inspired stuff. Very in keeping with the spirit of the occasion. 
Okay, so he allegedly got a bit frisky with a woman on the dance floor, then allegedly belted a living suitcase out of her partner who dared object to what was going on while his mate allegedly glassed him. But, geez, talk about overreaction from the partner and cultural differences too. If it had been on the dance floor of a local footy club, I'm sure most players would have gladly passed their girlfriends around to share in the spirit of the occasion. Look, there's a bottom line here, folks, and that's that if you know how to kick a bit of leather around a big grassy oval, you should be able to do anything you want at any time. Fair enough, surely. The other great thing about football is the capacity to learn from mistakes. In Dugowie's case, that incorporates breaking his hand in a bar fight for which he initially blamed his pet dog, a drink driving charge as a pea plater when he blew nearly twice the legal limit, indecent assault charges, which ended up being dropped, and a string of other driving offences. That's a lot of learning. Dugowie, at this rate, might end up the most educated man in the AFL. Doesn't seem to have stopped him getting into trouble, though, curiously. Heartwarmingly, too, his Collingwood teammates have rallied around him. Braden Maynard said he'd be there for him no matter what. I hope that one isn't put to the test too soon. And I particularly like Jeremy Howe's comment when he said, we just want to know you are all right. How did you find yourself in this situation? How can it be avoided next time? Well, I've got an idea, Jezza. How about you tell young Jordan not to get off his tits on God knows what, behave like a dickhead, harass other innocent parties trying to have a decent time, and then not beat up on them when they object to the harassment? It's a radical suggestion, I know, but it might just work. Rowan, 10 out of 10. You got it. Unfortunately, that little line about kicking a oval-shaped ball around a grassy field uh, seems to have allowed a lot of young men the sort of uh, freedom of expression in inverted commas that they should not have been afforded over the years. So hopefully we're past that. Well, I'm yeah. sick. I'm getting a bit sick of the entitlement of uh, sports stars, to be perfectly honest, particularly. And I think it's been exacerbated by the last couple of years. We've all done it pretty tough, mate. You got, uh, you got very lucky being able to go to the US and uh, that's how you treat that uh, considerable advantage. So uh, little sympathy on this occasion. I mean, I mean, here's, here's a bloke whose cards have been marked by any standards with a new coach at his football club. Surely he knew. Surely he knew. A, the spotlight was on him, especially with, as you said, all those claims of redemption. But, you know, he's been given a couple of last chances. Certainly, as we said earlier, we'll see how that one plays out. All right, uh, not sure where you're going with yours, but I'm ready to count you in. Three, two, one, rant. The 161st running of the Melbourne Cup was by any standards a huge success. We have the shortest priced favourite since Farlap incentivised, who ran a courageous race, a great race, but was bested on the afternoon by another super female of the turf. The oddly spelt but brilliantly performed, very elegant, racked up her 10th, that's it, count them, 10 Group 1 victories. They are almost impossible to come by one at a time between here and New Zealand and marked herself alongside the likes of Maccabi Diva, Sunline, the great Winks and Black Caviar as true superstar queen, a superstar queen of the turf. But for me, the real winner 
was the race. The race that stops a nation, well, it didn't need to stop a nation. In fact, it almost started a nation or at least a city because, of course, it was the first showing of public crowds at a sporting event since our massive lockdowns over the last couple of years. 10,000 attendants. So let's call this year's running of the Melbourne Cup the race that started a city. And it went off without a hitch. 23 runners went around after one scratching. That an Irish horse, future score, not being allowed to start because of a suspected lameness. The caution with which this race is run now, affording far more safety to international horses. As I said, went off without a hitch. A beautiful day and a mighty race. And the Melbourne Cup, Rowan, has been under siege on a number of fronts. First of all, the Coalition for Protection of Race Horses, race horses, I should say, was added again with this year's slogan, say nup to the cup. I wonder who came up with that one. It's not a well-thought-out group at the best of times. I've interviewed their principals previously and found them to be self-serving with really one goal in mind, not to end the cup, not to end jumps racing, but to end racing in toto, which is odd because given that the thoroughbred, a horse that was bred specifically hundreds of years ago for the means of racing, is at the centre of their claims, well, without horse racing, what happens to all the thoroughbred racehorses? This is a group that at its core has a decent, very decent claim or a very decent pitch, and that is for the protection and well-being of horses. But they take it far too far. They get on the pulpit and tell people whose lives are 24 hours a day, seven days a week, every day of the year, every week of the year, the care of horses, how to look after horses. It's unacceptable. And then, of course, there's an attack from Sydney Racing, who've thrown a fortune of money at a number of gauche and irrelevant races trying to usurp Melbourne's racing power. Last weekend saw the Gold Eagle, a $7.5 million race for no-account milers. No horses are coming overseas for that one. It was Peter Volandis at his attention-seeking best. The money might be there, but the quality isn't. And, of course, the final attack to the Melbourne Cup was COVID itself. No one in attendance last year, a lower attendance this year, but the race that stops a nation survives and will be back in full force next year. So the best race in Australia is, of course, the Melbourne Cup. And by how far? You guessed it, by the length of the Flemington Strait. Wow. The uh, uh, Melbourne Racing Club, uh, is it the Melbourne Racing Club or Victorian Racing Club? BRC. They should the BRC. Uh, just package that and run it as an ad for the next few years. Very uh, glowing endorsement. Look, I'm not a... I'm not a racing person, but it is a day I do enjoy, and uh, I'd enjoy it a lot more if I managed to ever tip a winner. I certainly haven't backed the Melbourne Cup winner for many, many years. I'm not sure if I ever will again, but uh, glad you enjoyed it, Finey, and I think a lot of racing aficionados will be nodding their heads furiously in agreement. All right, that is it for this week. Uh, thanks for your company, everyone. Uh, if you live in Melbourne or Victoria, continue 
to enjoy this gradual return to a normal lifestyle. I know we are here and hopefully when you're out in the sun cruising around, you can be listening to our podcast while you do it. Um, some beautiful accompanying uh, soothing tones in your earphones while you go about your daily walk or whatever it is you do. Uh, quick plug for our wonderful sponsors too, Fawny. Oh, beautiful burger. You bet. Andrews Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. From the bun on the bottom to the bun on the top and everything in between, it's the best. All right. Uh, thanks, everyone. Uh, don't forget you can support this podcast at the ACAST support page wherever you're listening to us. Uh, or you can become an official Footyology patron uh, via Patreon. Many links across footyology.com.au. The website's some great reading on there over the past week. Not just footy, of course, all sorts of stuff. Bit of politics, social commentary, entertainment, some music stuff up there. Uh, well worth a time in these cruisier end-of-year months. Thanks for your company. We'll see you again next week.